Do you ever get tired of your boring day-to-day life? I know I do. I should say that I did. Then I decided to do something about it. You see, conventional wisdom says that you live your life, and then your parents die, and they give you whatever they have left over, an inheritance. I'm sorry, that just wasn't good enough for me. So I decided to do something about it, you know? I want my money right now. So one day, I walked right up to my dad, and I said to him, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. I want what's coming to me right now. All I could think of that moment was, I'd like to give you what's coming to you right now. I brought him into this world, and I can make another one just like him. But he's my son, and I love him. So I gave him his money and told him if he could have a better life on his own without me, so be it. He packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. Kissed this boring place goodbye. I had places to go, people to see. So the first thing I did was, my son got lost. I love him, but he's no Magellan. I heard he had to stop for directions at least four times before he even made it out of our hometown. You know what? No, not four, okay? It was three. And and one of them wasn't even my fault. I, I couldn't understand what the guy was saying. I was just like, okay, thank you. And besides that, The only reason I can't follow directions is because somebody never taught me to follow directions. Don't go there. Uh, Okay, look. The point is, I got out of there, and I started to live it up. I mean, I had more friends than I knew what to do with. I I was eating like a king. I had the finest clothes, and the ladies. (laughs) What can I say about the ladies? I can say something about the ladies. They were women, but they were not ladies. Okay, okay, you know what? Never mind. The, the thing was, life was good. Until? Until my son's money ran out around the same time a recession hit our country. There, there wasn't any work to be found. I, I mean, I tried. I really tried. But there just weren't jobs. Eventually, I found a job. It wasn't bad. It was a manager's position. And it was an associate position at the... Okay, I was a bacon preparation assistant, which means I fed pigs. I hated that job. I didn't pay much. I I didn't have enough money for a place to live. There were many days I didn't even have enough money to eat. Sometimes I was so hungry, I would gladly have eaten the disgusting scraps I was feeding the pigs, but I couldn't. They wouldn't let me. So hunger pains is a constant reminder of how I'd squandered everything my father had given me. I lived in agony day after day. day after day after day. I'd watch and I'd wait for my son to come home. And my heart would ache as only a parent's heart could for his own child. But hear me on this. I never gave up on him. I never gave up on him. I knew that it would happen one day. One day it hit me. One day I realized that The lowliest of my father's workers lived better than I did. At at least they had a place to live and food to eat, and I didn't have either one of those things. So I wondered, what if he never comes to his senses? What if he lets pride just get in the way? No, no. I will see him again, again and again. These thoughts ran through my head as I began my journey back to my father's house. I knew what I would do. Um... There's no way that I would accept a handout, and and I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son. So I would ask him to hire me on as a worker. I mean, maybe he would do that. Just maybe. 
maybe today will be the day that my son will come home. That's what I would say every morning when I'd wake up. Maybe today will be the day that I would see him off in the distance as he makes his way back home. Home. That word means so many things. Comfort, care, security, love, home. I couldn't believe I was just a few hundred yards away from it. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting on my front porch, and that's when I saw him. He stood up out of his chair. He looked in my direction. He squinted his eyes to get a better look at me. And then I began to wonder, what if he doesn't take me back? What if... What if I get to him and he just looks at me and he says, I told you so, I told you so. Some of you would just roll your eyes every time I mentioned my son. But I knew he would come back. I just knew. I just knew this was a bad idea. I knew I shouldn't have done this and so I just stopped. He just stood there. I couldn't move. I couldn't just stand there so he jumped. My dad literally jumped off the porch. I'd never seen him do anything like that before. It was like he was this little kid who was excited about something. And then it hit me. He was excited about me. So you know what I did next? I I ran. ran. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. I'd never seen him run so fast. He was running at me with his arms stretched out wide as if to say, Welcome home! Welcome home! That's what I kept shouting to him. But I don't know if he could hear me, so I just kept shouting it over and over. All I wanted to do was just scoop him up in my arms like he was when he was like a little child. And just let him know that everything was going to be okay. And as I got closer to him, I could see tears running down his face. He was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my son did next? I jumped. I was nervous, I was excited, and so I literally jumped. And you know what my father did? Well, I fell backwards. He's a big boy. (laughs) And then, and then he hugged me. And he embraced me like only a father can. I kept saying over and over again, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son is back. Get him some clean clothes. Uh, Let's give him a meal. No, a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. For all my hopes have come true. I guess it was hope. Hope that made me start that journey back home. Hope that got me through all the miles. A hope that my father would take me back and somehow I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It's all forgiven. And I will never bring it up ever again. There is no shame. There is no guilt. For my son was lost. And now he is found. Good to see everybody here again, and uh, you, you may have recognized that as the story of the, the prodigal son. It's from Luke chapter uh, 15 in the New Testament, and this was one of Jesus' most famous parables. He would share these parables. A parable is a short story, usually to drive home a point, and it was usually in response to something. A question was asked of Jesus, and he would share a story, or a criticism was aimed at his at him, and he would respond with a story. And so this was one of those um, responses to a criticism, actually. And so we're going to look at this. But last week was Easter, and last week we talked about how God 
has made his power available to us through the resurrection of his son, Jesus. And so if last week was your first week joining us, then we just want to welcome you back. Today we're continuing on looking at the process of change in our lives. What does that look like? Well, stories of life change are, are, are really powerful. Stories of life change, what they do is they draw us in because usually on many uh, times there are, there's some level of the story that we can connect you know, we can identify with a character, or we really just experience, we long to experience that same kind of change in our own lives. And so the story of the prodigal son is one of those stories that really does draw us in. Uh, but this story, it was a response to some criticism that Jesus was uh, receiving for his associations. Jesus chose to associate himself with a bunch of different people. He, had, um, he enjoyed spending time with these close followers known as the disciples, a group that he called out amongst the crowd. And... He called them out to follow him, and they did, and he invested time in them. Um, but he also really enjoyed spending time with unchurched people, people who were not the churchy type. And so uh, Jesus started receiving criticism from the church people. Some of the religious leaders began accusing Jesus of welcoming sinners and eating with them. And so Jesus got this criticism because of who he would eat with and, and hang out with. And there was a group. Uh, this unchurched group that enjoyed time with Jesus, they were very different in their values, but they just loved spending time with Jesus. And he would give them that time. And so, uh, at this occasion, he gets this criticism, and he responds to the criticism of the religious leaders with, with three stories. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. This is the third story. And so what I want to do is going to break down this story and really apply it to our lives and the process that God uses. Because what you find out is that for God to keep growing us, then life change is a continual process. It's something we just go through. We, we, we experience change and growth. If life is going to go well, then you and I need to cooperate with God through those changes. If we'll cooperate with Him through the changes, life goes well. And so this story is about a prodigal son. And the word prodigal in the dictionary is someone who is wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Okay? Wastefully or recklessly extravagant. Just blowing through everything. No regards for boundaries. And so, but this story, when I hear the story read, or when I read it myself, or certainly when I heard that, that uh, modern adaptation, you know, it, get, it gets my attention. It always gets my attention because my sense, and my sense is it has for you as well, is because it strikes a chord. It represents that there is hope for anyone who's gotten off the right path. There's hope for, for us when we're on the wrong path. Because in the story, someone who doesn't deserve a second chance gets one. Someone who does not deserve grace and mercy, he receives that. And so, when you dig in the story, it's found in Luke chapter 15. You find there's some ingredients that, that each of us needs if we're going to cooperate with God in the way that He wants to change us. And so we're going to look at three really ingredients to starting over. And so, here's the first one. And we're, we're not going to read through the whole passage. We're just going to look at a few verses. And you pretty much, in that video, got the heart of the whole story of the prodigal son. But check out the prodigal's epiphany. This is the first ingredient of real change. It's to wake up. Okay? That's the prodigal. He, he experiences this point of realization where he wakes up. He comes to his senses. And so, look at the verse here. Uh, this is verse 17. It says, But when he had come to himself, when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. He's like, I'm starving to death. I'm, I'm so hungry 
You know, he, he was so hungry that he longed to, to eat what the, what the pigs were being fed. And so he comes to his senses and he wakes up. He comes to this realization that, hey, I can't keep doing this. I cannot keep going down this road. Something has to give. And that's, I think, where we identify. We can identify with, with him on that when we are on the wrong path and we recognize this isn't working. I'm worse off than I was before. For, for the prodigal, he's just exclaiming, my life is not getting any better. It's getting worse. I'm even worse off than the servants you know, are back at my father's home. The servants are doing better than I am. And so he wakes up. But waking up is a step that really is, is a crucial step on the path to change. It's when we realize we're on a dead-end path. It's, it's when we realize the road that I'm on continues to lead me to pain, to disappointment, to frustration, to emptiness. And until we wake up, come to our senses, we come to some realizations on where we're really at and the path that we're really on, until we wake up, real change just does not occur. So that's the first thing we learn. The second ingredient is this. It's that we own up. This is what happens to him next. Verse 18. Look at, he, owns, he, he owns his sin. He owns his part of the problem. Verse 18 says, I will arise and I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Notice the prodigal, he doesn't mince his words. He just says, I've sinned against heaven. He takes responsibility. Heaven represents God. He's saying, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I've sinned before you. He's saying to his dad. But that really for us could represent, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against someone else. I've, I've hurt people. I've sinned against my fellow man. He's not blaming anyone. He's not pointing the finger. Instead, he takes responsibility for his own choices, for his own attitudes and actions. It wasn't someone else's problem. He owns it here. And then here's what that really looks like. If we're going to own up, owning up involves a few things, okay? Here's what that really looks like. The first thing owning up involves is that it has godly sorrow, not worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is self-centered. It's, it's, we're sad because we got caught and so we can't keep doing what we were doing. That's what worldly sorrow is. And I don't know if you've ever, you know, seen this with a child where they got caught and you discipline them or you, you know, or you catch them in the act of what they weren't supposed to be doing and they're just sorry because now they got to stop. That's worldly sorrow. As, as adults, that happens to us as well. We get off path and then we get caught. Someone catches us. Something comes out. And we're sad because now we've got to stop. Now the difference is godly sorrow is based in humility. Godly sorrow is, is a sorrow based in humility where we realize that our choices and we realize that our sin was really against God. And it really has impacted other people. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. See, that's what godly sorrow is. It's a, it's a realization that this is a... This is a a deeper issue. <clears throat> it's godly sorrow. There's brokenness. There's humility. The second thing owning up also involves is it's seeing the sin when we see the sin beneath the sins. Like last week, we talked about how God is not just interested in outward change and behavioral modification. He's not just trying to get us to, to act um, differently on the outside and learn some new habits, but ultimately, He's trying to get at our hearts. He wants to get at our hearts because our hearts determine where we go in life. Our hearts determine um, you know, the destination that we're going to land at. 
And our hearts, you know, when we mess up, we, we need to recognize that the problem is not on the outside. The problem is an internal problem. It's a heart problem. My heart is the root of, of my sin. And so owning up, it, it, it comes back to the fact that we, that we would say, I need a new heart that only God can give. I need change on the inside. I need God to transform my heart. I've been running before and walking before, and, and I'll, I'll run or walk through, through town or through the neighborhood, and, and I'll come to a place where the sidewalks are cracked. And uh, the city will try to patch up the sidewalks because of the cracks. However, the sidewalks are cracked because there's tree roots that are driving the cement slabs apart. Here's a picture of just something. This isn't, we don't have big trees like that up here. So, <laughs> maybe. I haven't seen one like this, but. You know, there's, there's a root system that's driving the concrete apart. So you can't just patch the slab, can you? No, to fix the slab, what do you have to do? You have to remove the root. Then you can repair the concrete slab. The same is true with our sin. You see, owning up sees the need for change at the root. It sees the, the need for change at the core of who we are, that it's a heart problem. It's a heart issue. We need a heart change. That's owning up. Another thing owning up involves is Trusting that God is the only one who can actually change me. It's when I trust that He's the only one in the universe. No one else can change me. I can't, in fact, just change myself on my own power. Owning up, it's an admittance that I have missed the mark, that I've sinned against God. Now, to cooperate with God is when we realize that we need to change the direction of our life. The Bible calls this repentance, a change. Repentance means actually to change the road, to change the road I'm on, to make a change. It, in reality, is to switch paths. So it's kind of like I was going my way in life. To go your own way in life, to go my way in life, is we set out on our own path. There's no boundaries. No one else is leading us. We're in charge. This is the idea. It's my way. Now, to change the road, to repent means to change the road you're on. You hit a point where you turn. You make a, you make a U-turn. And you start going God's way in life. Where you begin to do life His way, according to His will. And to change the road means that first you have to admit that I'm on the wrong road. I'm on the wrong road. Owning up means admitting I'm on the wrong path. This is not getting me anywhere. And in life it means I can no longer be in the driver's seat because I keep picking the wrong way and my way keeps getting me lost. And so it's, it's a choice. It's a conscious choice to respond to God's pull on our lives to turn His direction to do life His way. Many of you have made that decision. At some point in your life, there was this major turn. There was this major, almost surrender. Like you bend the knee to Him as King. There's a point in time when we do that. Some of you are here and you're mulling on that. And you're, on, you're on your own path. And, and you're, you're here maybe because you sense God is, is doing a, a major work in your life of, of change, repentance. I'd encourage you to, keep, to walk with God, to respond in repentance, to turn your life over to Him. Last week we showed you a video of the first part of a man. Uh, his name is Eddie. He's part of our church, a member of our church. And Eddie in his, his video last week was sharing how he experienced life change because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. And, and what God, on God's part, what that meant to him. Eddie described what it meant to become a Christian. This week what I want to do is I want to show you another part of Eddie's story. And I want to take a specific look at an area of change that occurs, like an area of real repentance. As After he became a Christian, there was an area that God began to, to highlight and shine a light on and saying, this area is going to need to change. And 
it's going to make a difference if you'll if you'll yield that to me. So let's let's take a look at the second video. Not just doing what I want and what I think is right. That's what God challenged me with. <laughs> God challenged my view of authority. I definitely, even early on, you know, um, and it's taken a long time for me to really, uh, for God to really, uh, for me to really listen. It's been subtle. Like, I didn't realize, like, I had a tendency to maybe question authority. In my mind, I thought, well, I just, I have opinions. And <laughs> But um, before, I was, felt like I was the boss. Even, and that even relates to the way I uh, interacted with my dad. I didn't like him being the boss, so I wanted to be the boss in that also. Um, that had to change. My, the way I related with my dad was, was a reflection of the way I um, lived my life, I mean, basically. My own man kind of thing, and um, did what I want, what I think is right. And God definitely challenged that. God challenged um, what I thought was right. And he gave me a chance to to start to come under my dad's authority, and then um, it was also what he was asking me to do with him to come under his authority. <coughs> and uh, that wasn't easy. It was definitely a challenge. But as I as I saw other people in my life, they uh, they modeled that um, and they encouraged that. So even when no one's around. Um, Choosing, choosing God's way is uh, is following under following His authority. So what he's describing really is this process of once he yielded his life over to Jesus, then there's some changes that started taking place. And this is if you've yielded your life to Jesus as boss, then He calls the shots. That means that he leads, he sets the boundaries, and that we get direction from him in the Bible. And so, whenever our will and way clashes with God's will, his revealed will, then we yield to him. And that's what, that's what Eddie's describing. That's an area of repentance. You know, there's one major point of repentance, but then there's almost a daily yielding and surrendering our lives in these different areas of our lives over to God. Maybe you can identify what he was sharing was a, a, a struggle with authority. You know, that, that struggle, if you face a struggle with authority, it's not just that you face a struggle with one person, but you, you tend to struggle with the boss, um, the, the authority in the home, the authorities in, in, in a congregation, in church. You just you battle with it. But it may, may, it may not be that. Maybe for you it's an anger area that God is maybe shining a light on. Or maybe it <clears throat> could be something going on at work, maybe a work pattern or work habit. Whatever it is, whatever your circumstances, God has designed life so we would continually have to turn things over to God to trust Him. Just owning up. That's the second area. The, the third area is this. The third ingredient for a fresh start is to shift weight. You see this in the story. He, he shifts the weight of his foundation, what he's really standing on. Okay, look at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, he says, the prodigal son says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What he does here is he lowers himself to the lowest point. This is what needs to happen in our lives. We, sh- we need to shift the weight away from thinking we're good on our own. 
that we've got enough good in us. Some, sometimes we think, I'm a pretty good person. But what you see here is he's saying, I, I'm no good. And he humbles himself to the point of a servant. And he says, God, Dad, treat me like a, a, one of your servants. And then it says that his father arose and he came to his... He came, or I'm sorry, he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran to him. He embraced him. And he kissed him. But the prodigal, he shifted away from his own approaches and impulses. And he turned back to his father and he received compassion. That's what happened. His father had this genuine love poured out towards his son. His father ran a long way and embraced him and kissed him. This is a great picture of God's view of us. This is, this is how God works in our lives. This story gives us the hope because God, in His love and in His compassion for us, will help us if we'll call out to Him and if we'll begin to put our trust in Him. So to shift weight means this. It's where I move from trusting in our own or my own foundation and I begin to move towards God and His plan for change. I experience His grace. I experience His embrace, His forgiveness. Many of, many of us need that. His forgiveness. Here's what this means over the long haul on the backside. This means this, that my role in change is to keep choosing the ingredients as God produces the growth. This is my, my lifelong role in change is to keep, in, to keep choosing those ingredients of waking up, owning up, and shifting weight. As God produces the growth. Look at Galatians 5, 22 through 25. Really quickly, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, this is a list of what God will grow in us if we'll keep choosing those ingredients. Okay? This is what God will grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's stuff that I want. That's stuff that we desire. Against, He says, Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus... This is key right here if you belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. See, there's a change. There's a repentance that has happened in our lives. We've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. doesn't mean there's not a struggle, but we keep putting to death the old ways. Verse 25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, this is a description of what the character qualities that will grow up in us in every area of our life. And here's what life is like if, if they are ours. They're good things. One is, if I'm a loving person, meaning I keep looking at other people's interests, then people can trust me. We can accomplish more together. They don't have to keep wondering if, we're gonna, if I'm going to stab them in the back. If I'm a joyful person, then I, I can be joyful at work. I can have a great attitude at work. I can get a lot done. I can do my work with a good attitude. I can parent with a good attitude. <clears throat> I need that. We need that. Self-control. If I have self-control, then others that I relate to will realize that I'm reliable and not reckless, not impulsive. They can trust me. Then on and on and on it goes. The fruit of the Spirit that grows in us is what, what goes well in life. It's what we want. And notice that this growth, it grows like fruit. It's God's Spirit that grows it in us. For fruit to grow, a seed must first be planted in the ground. It has to be buried in the soil. Spiritually, this is described in verse 24. Look at what it says in verse 24. As crucifying our sinful nature with its passions and desires. The sinful nature refers to our old selfish strategies that we used to get 
what we, what we want. Regardless of what God wants, you know, we have these old ways. We bury the seed in the soil by surrendering the old desires to God's will and to God's way whenever there's a clash between His agenda and our agenda. And then the good seed grows, it bears fruit if it's exposed to the right ingredients. That's us choosing to just keep waking up, owning up, shifting weight. We have to keep choosing these over and over. So here they are again. Just take a quick look, make sure, and maybe jot down the specifics of how this looks in your life. Waking up, owning up, shifting weight. What is it that you need to focus on? Maybe the wake up is just where you come to your senses and you realize, I'm just on a very selfish track. I'm hurting people. I'm hurting myself. My attitudes just keep showing up and it keeps causing harm. I wake up and I realize, I look in the mirror, I'm just like Oscar the Grouch. And, you know, I wake up then. Maybe that's where the focus needs to be. Then we own up. After we realize what's going on, we need to admit that we're relying on ourselves to change. And we can't do that. It's a major relief to just to say, I cannot change myself. Lord, here I go again. I'm being harsh. I'm being grouchy. Trying to push people. Trying to control and manipulate people. It takes humility to admit that. But when you do, it's like taking a dip in a cool spring on a really hot day. Where you're just like, I admit it. I give up. I own, I own up to this. And then I shift weight. The last thing, I shift weight. I keep putting trust in God to make the changes that He's trying to make in me. Kind of saying like, Father, will you help me change? Will you grow this fruit of joy, of patience, of love in me? Verse 25, it says this, that we keep in step with the Spirit. That we need to keep in step with the Spirit. This is how we keep in step. We just keep waking up, owning up, and shifting weight. This is the process. This is what our part. And He keeps growing the fruit of godly character all of our lives if we'll cooperate with Him in this way. I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and also ask our ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And I want to wrap up this message by encouraging you to think about how to apply this to your life in some way. Here's some next steps. These are on the back of your connection card. If you'd finish filling out that connection card as well, then then uh, you can drop the connection card in the offering basket when the ushers come around. Here's some next steps. Maybe pick one of these if you see it uh, as a good step to take this week. First one's memorize Galatians 5.25. That's the verse that says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's just remembering to cooperate with God. I want to cooperate with Him through this process of change. Second thing would be to commit my life to Jesus as boss. If you've never done this before, if this would be your first time, maybe last week you were mulling on that as we shared about what Jesus has done for you. If you've never made Jesus the boss of your life and you're ready to do that, we would love to uh, connect with you. We'd love to have a conversation with you and help you um, clarify that, give you any information, help you process that decision. If you check that box, We'll be sure to touch base with you. And then the third thing is to identify an area to work through the change process. Maybe it's authority. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's um, just related to relationships. It could be something at work. It could be something at home, in your marriage. And the last thing here is to circle what I tend to leave out of the change process. What do I attempt to leave out? When I try to change, do I usually leave out one of these areas? Maybe you gravitate towards one and you ignore the others. Maybe you focus... Uh, focus today on the area to, to apply. Let's let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and 
Thank you for your great love for us, as displayed in the story of the prodigal son. You're that father who loves us, who's made a way for us to to return to you, and then who pursues us with his love and forgiveness, cleans us up, dusts us off. works in us, provides for us. Lord, we're so grateful. And so thank you for this story and the reminder, God, that there's hope for anyone who, who is on the wrong path. Lord, I pray that I pray for each person here, especially for those that have yet to connect with you. Lord, I pray that that they would really get clarity on what it means to follow you in a real personal relationship. And, and for those of us here that are just trying to kick the old habits out, to crucify the old sinful nature, the old ways. Lord, we ask you for your help and your strength through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you work in us, Lord, to help us to put to death the old ways that are leading us, God, towards destructive things, Lord. Would you free us, Lord? We want to experience that freedom that we sang about earlier, Lord. We just, we do, we surrender to you, God, those old things. Strengthen us today. Lord, also just ask you to bless this offering. Would you use it, God? Would you multiply it? Lord, help us to respond to you in faith, Lord, to trust you, God, with our resources. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our church and through us. Help us to reach more people, Lord. For Jesus' name. It's his name we pray.